0: Welcome back to the drill to detail podcast after our long summer break and i'm your host mark Ritman. next week is Looker's annual conference in san francisco and i'm joined in this Looker join 2018 special episode by long-term friends of the show tristan handy and stuart bryson so tristan welcome back and uh, why don't you introduce, introduce, introduce yourself and uh tell us where you come from
1: yeah for sure thanks so much and glad to be back um my name is Tristan Handy, and I'm the founder and CEO of Fishtown Analytics. Uh, we do two things. We help venture-backed companies implement analytics stacks, and we also build an open source data modeling tool called DBT.
0: Fantastic. And Stuart, no- nice to have you back as well. Do some introductions and uh, tell us where you come from, what you do.
2: Thanks so much, Mark. It's a, it's, it is a pleasure to be back. Uh, it's also a pleasure to be with Tristan. This is going to be really interesting. So um, I'm... CEO and founder of red pill analytics we're uh, a analytics company about four years old and uh, you know we we work primarily or at least our history is primarily from the Oracle stack but we're only about 60% Oracle now and the rest is pretty much public cloud and uh, we use a, we use a, a lot of the tools you discuss on this podcast so it's going to be it's gonna be a lot of fun today
0: great okay so so tristan i mean when we did the first interview in the first episode with you a while ago um you talked about this tool called dbt that you'd built and i must admit at the time i hadn't really had a chance to look at it and i hadn't really got what the context of it would be but since then i've been i've noticed it being kind of mentioned a few times on projects and i know Stuart's had some uh, had some exposure to it as well so why don't you just tell us what this dbt tool is and what is the problem you're trying to solve with it first of all
1: yeah uh for sure the and you had no good reason to know about it a year ago because <laughs> almost no one was using it. Um, but so, DBT stands for Data Build Tool. Um, it is currently it is a purely command line tool um, that helps analysts model data in their data warehouses. Um, and it it really grew out of uh, a need that I had uh, working at my last company. Um, I actually worked at RG Metrics, which became Stitch, um, and so we were big users of uh, the The stitch product, um, and we had all of our data loaded into redshift and I was actually trying to analyze marketing automation data in it was from Pardot actually and uh, I was just having a real hard time you know i I was a long time SQL user, but this was the first real experience I was trying to have analyzing data in this redshift environment, and I just found my my myself needing to build these pre-aggregations because otherwise my eventual analytic queries were so freaking complicated that I I couldn't keep track of what was going on. And so uh, my co-founder Drew and I um, decided that we just needed this thing. And uh, as we built more and more of it, we found that it was more and more useful and and we couldn't believe that there wasn't something out there to do this. So a big part of the impetus of uh, starting Fishtown was just to try to bring this thing to life and and see what it became
0: okay okay so and i think i can understand what you're saying about um i suppose uh you know needing a tool like this i mean i was doing some work on redshift recently and the amount of times I, I was using the same kind of design patterns or the same kind of patterns to do things like um trying to find out what the first transaction was in a set of transactions or things like using a case statement to break out and, and decode a sort of like a field and the amount of repeated code i was creating in there was, was, was terrible and um looking again i was looking at, at dbt at the time and it was two things particularly it potentially did this this thing about not repeating yourself um but also the testing framework you had there as well i mean was that the kind of thing you're thinking of really when you were sort of putting it together
1: yeah i mean to be honest the the very initial uh the need was something so trivial and stupid um but when you have uh, a data warehouse that's loaded by modern data pipelines like stage five tran um the the data shows up in your warehouse in a very raw format and each different integration the the table and field names are uh, aligned with the api endpoints that those tools are getting the data from and so in some integrations you'll have underscores in between the like different parts of the name and some of them they'll be case different and and it was just very challenging to have all these different data sources that had different styles of naming and so literally the very first thing that we did was just create a set of what we call now base models um, that were one-to-one with the raw data, um, but but provided uh, renaming for all the fields and for the table itself, and then uh, filtered out like test records, like records that shouldn't exist. And then we did all of our analytics on top of these base models, and then everything was, felt, felt very clean and consistent. Um, but you're totally right, doing that type of transformation downstream whether you're creating uh you know very simple like uh case statements or like all the way to like kimball style star schema modeling um that that stuff that people use to uh use dbt for as well
0: okay so Stuart, i mean you've been looking at dbt and and, and you know you've got quite a background history in in those templated code and etl tools and so on what was it that interested you about about dbt and and you know what was it that you know i suppose made you think this is worth looking at really
2: yeah, I mean, one of the founding principles of Red Pill when we founded the company really was we wanted to to reintroduce analytics, data, and analytics, I'd say, to the software development lifecycle. I mean, we started trying to make you know enterprisey tools uh, work in that mode, um, which is not necessarily easy. And we've you know written several things and frameworks and. And that sort of thing to try to make that happen. And then when when I discovered DBT, I I just you know felt kindred because the whole idea of of trying to make a tool, uh, whether that be some sort of ETL tool or data integration tool, um, work as your sort of total source to target in today's environment, I think is sort of a fool's errand um as tristan mentioned you know five stitch they 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 deliver your data very efficiently uh, to your cloud native data warehouses and so we don't really need to focus on that side of it and what i loved about dbt is it really focused on the back end side and, and now hearing tristan sort of describe his desire to build this makes perfect sense to me when you look at dbt it it's it's very much about building one interface at a time, one step in your process at a time. But not just that, but doing it in a way that works in modern development environments. So I'm thinking continuous integration, continuous deployment and testing. Um, These enterprise ETL tools and data integration tools that we've both worked with in the past just never really thought about what does it mean to test ETL code? What does it mean to to do the sort of things that developers are used to doing, which is stubbing and mocking and thinking about what it means to write a test where you have the um, anticipated results of what you expect that piece of your pipeline to do and be able to test it. What DB2 does, what DBT does is um, sort of abstract out just the real basics of what you need to write in a templating engine and it really just takes care of the rest. So I'm a big fan, Tristan. Thanks, I really appreciate that. Um,
1: yeah, and uh, you did a way better job there than than
0: uh, I've ever done before. So I, I need to bring you along when I'm trying to convince people to use it. Um, Tr- Tristan, I mean, so for, for anybody, I mean, what we've described here is, is interesting and, and and it's almost like an abstract sense. You've described you know, reusable code and, and templating and so on, but Tristan, just maybe at a very kind of basic level, explain, um, you know, I mean, what is DBT in terms of how people might might kind of encounter it and, and, and install it and use it and so on? Because it's it's like writing SQL, from my understand, but it's in a, in a reusable kind of templated way and so on. I mean, what, how do people actually use the product? Yeah, um, so
1: the goal is to make data engineering accessible for analysts, and so uh, there are certain things in the workflow that are a little bit un. Uh, unusual for analysts to have to do but I think that we've tried to make the whole process as accessible as possible so you you install dbt by firing up your your command line and you do a brew install dbt and um, and the install process is fairly straightforward at this point um, you make a blank project you supply some database connection credentials and then you you get to work um, writing transformations and every uh, new fi- new SQL file that you create in your project becomes a new table or view. Um, and and the analyst doesn't actually have to write create table, create view, cert keys, disk keys, eh, partitions on BigQuery. Like, eh, the, the analyst doesn't have to think about any of that stuff. They express their business logic in a select statement. And then DBT figures out uh, how it needs to materialize that into the database, including if that needs to be materialized in some incremental uh, view that builds over time.
0: Okay. So is is it so is this is this an ETL tool or is it a, a kind of an, an an analysis tool or both or what really? Yeah, I think that the E. So
1: people are so used to talking about quote unquote ETL, um, and when uh, now the the order of the letters has been mixed up so that it's really E L T in in the modern stack, um, but I. I think that really tools like Stitch and Fivetran are, are really EL tools and DBT is the T part of that. So if Stitch and Fivetran are responsible for extracting and loading your data into the warehouse, then DBT is the transformation layer that then sits on top of that. Um, because if you, if you, you know, originally in the modern stack, people were just loading in raw data and then trying to write reports on top of that. And, and that's a very challenging thing to do, as anyone who's worked in data warehousing in prior generations of you. Um, so, so DBT is trying to fill that hole in the in the modern stack.
2: What I love about um, DBT is that it's the concept that when we use Five Trainer Stitch, we can get our data loaded to um, a cloud data warehouse, and we can we can knock out a lot of requirements sort of initially. And what I really like about DBT is that. For those requirements that can be solved by the the delivery of sort of the raw schemas from, from the source systems, um, we can we can have you know analytics developers go ahead and start trying to knock out some of those requirements while the backend transformation developers, whether those be analysts or real developers, start to address the uh, the the not so low hanging fruit. And I think that in traditional projects we spent so much upfront time. ETLing before Hmm. we could even get to a state where we could build analytics. And so by the time we built analytics on top of these transform models, that's the first time we find out from, from the the user or the business that we had really, we didn't really capture their requirements correctly. What I love is that we can go ahead and start building analytics, building it on the five tran or stitch delivered data models. Get some stuff in front of the the user or the business, start iterating with them, and then DBT reacts to sort of those requirements and those discussions in a way that's really easy. So I feel like we're we're up and running in these modern stacks driven by, by the five trans and the DBTs of the world in such in such a more reactive way, that we're actually doing data instead of uh, doing things with data instead of. You know, are architecting projects.
1: The uh, <clears throat> one of the main goals uh, was to have like really fast iteration speed because, like you said, uh, the the process of like answering a question is you're going to do some analysis in a front end tool, and then you're probably going to do some modeling, um, and those two things have to kind of be interleaved with each other. And so uh, we, you know, if if you've got a model in DBT, you should be able to. Uh, deploy that in like five to 10 seconds. Uh, And and so that, that speed allows analysts to actually like get their work done like so much faster
0: okay okay and uh, that that's quite an interesting sort of lead into something else I wanted to talk to you about Tristan and, and actually also to Stuart as well I mean about about um I think the last the last podcast we talked we talked about the kind of the the analytics market and the t- the sort of technical stacks and so on at that point and since then you kind of did a podcast or you did a webinar I think with uh mode analytics um and you generally talk about things being uh well t- tell you, you know you tell us what, what do you think what do you think the, the sort of the software stack, the analytics stack is like at the moment? And where do you think it's kind of going? And uh, I mean, just start start off by saying that, and then we'll kind of maybe have a discussion around that with Stuart as well.
1: Yeah, um, I, I think that there are uh, several pieces of the analytics stack that has kind of evolved since uh, Redshift was released in, I guess that was 2012 or 2013. Um, but but the advent of Redshift, I think, is Kind of the the forcing function that really caused the the modern analytics stack to come into existence. It was uh, first Redshift, and then uh, both Fivetran and Looker came out at a really similar time. Um, then you start seeing tools like Snowplow pop up to dump data directly into Redshift, um, and so. You, and, and then DBT came along in, in 2016, which was, uh, I guess, uh, Matillion's another good mm. tool that, that fits in that layer of the stack. Um, but so you now have uh, this whole modern tech stack that is made up of event pipelines, uh, EL tools, um, extraction loading like Fivetran and Stitch, um, data warehouses, uh, data transformation, and then BI, So these these five layers. and what What I think is so interesting um, is that the the layers of the stack have been very stable for the past several years. and and even at this point, the players in each of those parts of the stack have have remained fairly consistent there there haven't ha- hasn't been some brand new bi tool since the era of like looker mode periscope um, to come out and like grab a Of the the market, Um, so I think that we're starting to see things kind of stabilize a little bit for this kind of era of the tech stack
0: okay i mean so so is i mean for stuart and i we came from the oracle world and for the from the more i suppose kind of you know enterprise enterprise databases and so on and i think certainly for me when redshift came out it didn't quite i mean i was obviously aware of it and i was aware that it was disruptive and and so on but i don't don't think redshift had quite the same resonance with us at the time but obviously now we we see the kind of role that it has i mean stuart what was your you came into this around the same sort of time as me what was your take on when redshift came out and and the way the market has gone really and 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 so on, really.
2: So, the beautiful thing about Redshift at that time was the idea of provisioning something quickly. And I think that when you come from the world that you and I come from, Mark, uh, the sort of legacy world, just the idea that you could provision a data warehouse with clicks, and then you discover underneath that it's really an API call so you could automate that. That is, I mean, that was just revolutionary. But now, what I look at, like BigQuery and Snowflake, really has taken that model um, further which is separating compute and storage. And I think that is just gangbusters for 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 what we can do. And I'm sure Redshift's going to address some of these issues for for its you know it doesn't quite have the elasticity that that the other two I mentioned have. But I, I think the idea of I, I mean mark on these on these legacy projects that we worked on so many years ago. I mean, how long did it take for the for the data warehouse machine to actually be stood up? I mean, you know, we always built in a couple of weeks in the project to kind of stand around and, and wait. And I think if that's the thing Redshift really changed, it is that you can you can get to work on, on day one.
0: Yeah, I think the worst one was that the project went for a year and a half and the machine actually got delivered about a week after the project finished. So uh, that, that was, that's the Exadata one that, uh, <laughs> that you and I probably know about in, uh, in, in London as well. I mean, so, so, I mean, so one, one of the things that you've talked about, Tristan, is you, you talk about the missing parts. And you talk about, I suppose, where there's opportunities for the stack to be maybe sort of more, more layers you put in or things that are missing at the moment. I mean, at this point now, what, what do you think is still missing or where do you think there's opportunities to kind of like do things better or add features into the, into the stack we work with now?
1: Yeah that, I definitely am waiting for a lot of products to come out, and <clears throat> I wrote that blog post almost a year ago now. Yeah. And yeah there actually hasn't been like so, so like the first one that I mentioned there is that I feel like with a combination of um, data network effects plus uh, AI or ML, um, there should be a way to uh, cleanse data more effectively than there is today. Um, you know, there, there are thousands of people now who all have uh, Salesforce data loaded into a data warehouse. Um, and, and yet everybody has to do the same manual cleansing over and over again. It's still a very human thing. Um, and maybe Salesforce isn't the perfect example. Maybe that is something a little more automated like Stripe or something like that. Um, but, but it seems to me like that, that problem uh, will be solved at some point. The, the Probably the, the one that is the biggest pain point for people that we work with today is what I called data reintegration. There's probably a real term for this, but that was what I had called it, um, where you've built this tremendous amount of value in your data warehouse. Um, you've integrated data from all these different sources, then you've applied business logic to it. But then if you want to get that data back into the systems that actually run your business like you want to get it into Salesforce so that sales reps can do things with it or you want to get it into a marketing automation platform so that it can trigger campaigns there's really not a great answer for that today there are a couple of answers that are you know you're starting to see take shape and Looker does a little bit of that but I don't honestly think that like that's a mature space that has, has a good answer today
0: Okay. Stuart, I mean, you and I know that kind of area quite well. I mean, what's your thoughts on that and also your thoughts on the the stack at the moment?
2: Yeah, I mean, I I agree with with Tristan. I think machine learning has promise and whether or not it will deliver on that promise is, is, I think, um, debatable. But, you know, the idea that you open these tools, whether they be analytics tools or they be integration tools, they should have an opinion. I mean, e- uh, machine learning should allow these tools to have an opinion. Here's some expected joins I think you might be thinking about from the data integration side. Here's from the analytics side. Here are some um, opinions that the tool can make because they have machine learning uh, underneath them that can give you some visualizations when you open the tool. I think what we'll see, and I'm hoping that we'll see from, from both the analytics and the integration stacks, is just these tools having an opinion when you open them and go ahead and do some of the work for you without you having to tell them to. Uh, one of the one of the tools that that does do this to a certain degree and is Glue, so Amazon Glue. At least there's a crawler in the background that's going ahead and and finding your schemas and and taking a first pass at defining those schemas. I think we'll build on those sorts of things moving forward. Where these tools we use, because of advancements and 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 what machines can do on their own, uh, we'll start to see these tools, you know, not give us um, blank slates or blank palettes when we open them, and start to help us sort of um, guess business logic, um, and and improvise in the front in the delivery of analytics and data in such a way that now all we're really doing is tweaking it or or really defining what our you know um specific uh needs or use cases or requirements are
0: okay okay i mean so i mean do, do, do you but do both of you think that the inevitable thing with the market is you'll start to get consolidation and the moment we've got these very kind of um uh, you know, you've got these very sort of separate companies doing sort of, you've got Stitch, you've got Fivetran, you've got Looker doing their separate things. Do you think there's an opportunity or a need for uh, for a equivalent of, say, Oracle to come along to kind of buy up these companies and create an integrated stack? Or, I mean, Tristan, or do you think there's kind of, do you think there's benefit in having these things separate and modular now?
1: I think that modular is more customer-centric. Um, for the slice of the market, that we work with, Um, the the, VC backed startups are investing in smart data talent today. And uh, I think that people who want control, they want the ability to put together best of breed solutions. Um, Is that the right solution for the enterprise? I I honestly don't really know the answer to that. It it may not be, and historically it it clearly hasn't been. Um, One of the things that I do think is interesting from a consolidation perspective, is that uh, the the warehouses um, and especially BigQuery um, are starting to d- do more than traditional analytics uh, under the 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 hood of like a SQL prompt, which I think is an interesting type of consolidation. They seem to believe that SQL is the lingua franca and the, that you're going to be able to do more and more things from from SQL. Like they they recently re- released this, uh, m- you know, regression. Like that you can now create a quote unquote machine learning model inside of BigQuery, and then it, uh, it automatically keeps the weights up to date, and you can query
2: it directly in BigQuery, which is as kind of a cool. function call. I mean, as a function call, I mean, it's brilliant. Yeah.
0: So, I mean, Stuart, I mean, we've seen this before. You know, we've seen from the Oracle world that, that kind of, you know, first of all, sort of consolidation, but also SQL being the lingua franca of everything is, is a story we kind of know well, really. I mean, is it, do you, I mean, what do you think on this? Do you think there's going to be consolidation? I mean, also, I'm interested to understand from you, Stuart. We've looked at things like, um, I suppose Oracle's, uh, you know, data warehouse cloud service that's trying to copy or, or at least be similar to the, uh, the ease of provisioning that you get with BigQuery. Do you think that, do you think that, Players like Oracle come along here and and just repeat history or or, or what really here?
2: You put me on the you put me on the carpet, aren't you? <laughs> so, uh, so I think I, th- I think what Oracle has today with their uh, autonomous data warehouses is, is more similar to say Redshift than mm. than is to say BigQuery or Snowflake, which is it's still very much local storage. It's still very much um, non-elastic. I'll say. Uh, I mean, there's definitely some elastic capabilities within uh, Autonomous, and we've got a few customers using it. But I think the the complete separation of store, you know, serverless. I mean, what 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 Autonomous is not is serverless at this point. I'm sure they'll get there. Um, as far as the modular discussion, I mean, I completely agree with Tristan. I, I don't see a need for a complete stack. I think that's regressive in, in in the way we've moved forward with these modern stacks and thinking about the cloud giving us APIs, whether those APIs are SQL-based functions. I still consider that an API in ML. Um, or just real honest-to-goodness RESTful APIs that we can just call. I mean, building the plumbing is what we used to have to spend so much time doing, Mark, is building this integration and in plumbing. And actually, the cloud vendors are, are exposing that. I mean, you look at Looker, you look at Stitch, you look at Fivetran, you look at Mode. These things are all RESTful based. And the idea that we need some stack to put a layer on top of that, that, you know, decreases complexity, That they're already, they've already done. That. The final piece of this is just stitching the little bits together in the way that we want, in the way that, that, that makes sense for our requirements. And I, I hope it doesn't change. I hope we move more toward modular pieces that can be plugged together to get just exactly what we need.
0: Okay. Okay. And it's interesting. I mean, again, interesting to you really into the uh, to the Looker event that's happening sort of shortly. So, you know, this should go out around the same sort of time that uh, the Looker Join is, the Looker Join conference is happening. And I was there last year and I was I was impressed with uh, what they were bringing out. But I think back to the point that Tristan made, a lot of the features that they were bringing out were things that either I'd seen before or they were enterprise features. Um, I mean, Tristan, what, what's your take on Looker, the product at the moment, and perhaps kind of maybe what you're looking forward to seeing at the at the at the conference? being announced really what's your sort of what's your state of the union really for looker at the moment
1: yeah um looker still occupies an end of the market that like nobody else does
0: Um, looker is
1: amazing at um allowing analysts to write uh code that describes the relationships in their database and then painting a user interface in front of business users that they can use to drag and drop and create uh reports and dashboards um And I think that Looker's ability to uh, translate the efforts of these analysts and business users into functional reports and and SQL that actually performs, in in most cases, performs pretty well, um, that doesn't exist anywhere else on the market. Um, And I'm I'm a little surprised that it doesn't exist anywhere else in the market because it seems like such a big problem. but they still continue to be the, the very best at that, from from my perspective. Um, but but and and that's what we use Looker for. We don't really use Looker for like data actions, or uh, we don't use like some of its more sophisticated uh, permissioning sometimes. But but uh, that core query model, the LookML to explore to dashboard process um, that. That actually has been very stable since about 2015. Um, and and I think that most of what has been released since then, even Looker 5, which I did like, um, mm. was was mostly kind of extensions on top of this core experience and not real innovations on top of that core experience.
0: Okay okay so I mean we'll come back to some of those points in, in a second but Stuart what's your what's your take on the state of the world with Looker at the moment I mean like me you're you're kind of you know it's it's a relatively new thing the last couple of years we've been using it and uh, there's been a lot of growth there and so on but you know what, what do you think are the key the key kind of selling points of Looker and the things that perhaps you want to see announced at the, the event this year?
2: So I mean, first off, we're we're exhibiting at Join this year, so we're really so Red Pill is we're really excited about that. So we're going to have quite an involvement while we're there. Um, so there's there's a, you know we have open eyes and in in that experience, and we're really excited to be you know truly invested in the Looker community. Um, I, as far as you know, one of the things I wanted to to sort of say while while Tristan was speaking is it's interesting that. Mark, the tools we, we worked on for years were trying to abstract away SQL. Um, they were trying to make it so that no, that you didn't have to write SQL, or at least in DBT and Looker's uh, you know way of thinking, SQL-like uh, template. And while the, all the big data technologies were moving back to SQL at the same time, I think it's interesting that at some point in the enterprise tool set, it was decided that SQL was not, or SQL-like things were not the way to um, express data. And I think at the, I haven't seen anything that expresses data effecti- as effectively as SQL. I mean, from from the days of, of being a database administrator, which is where I started, I mean, SQL was always the way I thought about data. And it still is, is the most powerful way to express a data set. And I think that while I've been, you know, Red Pill specifically and me personally have been moving away from the tools that try to simplify and abstract away SQL as a sort of building block or at least a interface between tools and moving more toward that direction. We've got a project going on right now where we're doing data integration in Kafka using KSQL. And it's just so um, enjoyable to think that SQL is not a dirty word. And I think that if there's one thing I could say, you know, sort of the ti- a, a, um, a theme that kind of ties together all the different things we're talking about today is that SQL alive and well. Um, it's, it's being promoted as a first-class uh, citizen in a lot of the open-source technologies that don't have it. Apache Beam, Spark already has it, uh, KSQL and Apache Kafka. And... You know these tools. The, the the thing that Looker got right is that we don't need to abstract that away into a, a GUI. Um, there is a um, expression language that should be defining our data sets in something very very SQL like, and I think that um, the the LookML and and sort of DBT way of expressing SQL in in an easy to use um morsel, bite-sized morsel kind of from a model to a model at a time is really exciting so I, I'm, I'm hoping just to see a whole lot uh, more um, investment from Looker in that LookML model I mean that's the thing that for us really drives enterprise customers to consider non-traditional non-big stack software is that LookML model and that's the thing that we can take to to bigger customers.
0: So on that point, and I'll hand this off to, to Tristan in a second. So on that point, there, there's a big, there, there's a lot of uh, you know attention and uh, and talk last year about data blocks and analytic blocks and source blocks and this general kind of t- templating or, or creating these um, pre-built or pre-packaged um, analytic kind of solutions really in templates. How, how well do you think that's worked, Tristan? Has that been sort of useful? Has there been some take up of that really in the market?
1: Yeah, I I agree with the priority that's placed around this. Um, there more and more businesses are using SaaS products to uh, you, you know, as their systems of record, all those SaaS products have identical schemas uh, or all the users of those SaaS products have identical schemas to one another. And then when you load the data in via a common tools that your FiveTran or you know, other smaller ones um, the data looks the same when it gets to the warehouse. So it seems like an obvious um, thing that you want to do. And we've, we've thought a lot about that problem with DVT as well. Um, the Where the rubber meets the road is that no data are ever the same. And so you not only need to figure out how to distribute this code to large numbers of people, but you need to, to figure out what are the ways in which it makes sense for those businesses to customize that to fit their own unique environment. Um, But while they customize it, you have to make sure not to break the upstream link to the core package. Because part of the, I mean, one of the main reasons you want to um, use a package that's been developed by somebody else is that uh, you will inherit uh, the, the upstream improvements get made, and if you break that link completely, for example, by copy pasting a bunch of the logic so that you can then make changes to it, and you break that link, um, and I think that maybe there is, like, the ways of distributing the code I think are great with blocks, and the the intention is there, but I don't know that we've like it, it evolved into this like sophisticated package management system where you know the thousand plus companies can all collaborate on common data sets together I, I just don't think we're quite there yet
0: okay okay so stuart and i are quite used to this idea of package code and package solutions and so on and stuart as the person that introduced you to uh, to agile development and Git, um you know i, I feel like i ask you what's your what's your what's your opinion on this really How, you know you must have encountered this and thought about this as well you know what do you think about blocks and what might you do differently or hope they might announce differently around that sort of area
2: I'll let you get away with that, Mark. If you
0: <laughs>
2: I remember the first time you checked out a Git repository, you checked it out into your Dropbox folder. So uh, <laughs> we'll just let that one go. But um, all, you know,
0: um, all jokes aside, I tell think... him where my code was stored, Stuart. <laughs> yeah, yeah, in a exactly. Word document.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. So um, uh, yeah. I um, think. I, I mean, the Git side of this is is obviously you know so important. I mean, I'm just we're just now seeing, and in some cases not seeing traditional tools move in that direction, and it just seems mindless. I mean, when you talk to um, the people that are building these these big box analytics tools, they're obviously using Git and committing and continuous integration, but they don't think analytics. Um, this is broad stroke here, but they don't think analytics is the kind of thing or data integration is the kind of thing that, that is not a, you know, a subset of software development to use Tristan's uh, terminology. I and mean, I very much think it is. And so uh, um, one of the, the, the first things about Looker that, that blew me away was, was it's, you know, just built in integration we get, and it seems so, so easy and obvious. Um, and I think that, you know, boilerplate is kind of the term we use for pasting things around, and and uh, you know w- unnecessarily pasting things around. And you, you know, I I absolutely hope to see more enhancements from Looker in that direction to make um, you know uh, inheritance more sort of a first-class development style. They do have um, LookML extends, so you can sort of define core models and extend them and i think that's a a great move in the right direction what it, it only allows you to extend on top of something that's been built but true inheritance allows you to override and i think what would be great is to see the extends functionality allow us to start doing easy overrides of things that exist in in sort of core packages and I think when we, if we see that, and hopefully we will, it, when we start to see that, I think it'll it'll be easy to express a difference between a core model as just sort of an incremental change. And I think that's hopefully I'm not putting words in your mouth, Tristan, but I think that's kind of what you're hoping for.
1: Yeah, I, I think that that's right. Um, and and sometimes it's it's really very basic stuff. Um, I think that the ability to just specify configuration parameters for blocks in in just variables um would be nice and and the way that looker frequently deals with state um in the liquid layer is is a little bit wonky and you can't always do the things that you want with it
0: okay okay so i mean as well as obviously the looker event is in a week's time but um in terms of the kind of the open source market and and just generally other innovation you're seeing in the market and analytics i mean Tristan, you know, certainly DBT is open source, isn't it? But what else is there you're seeing from the uh, other vendors and, and open source of projects and that sort of thing as well?
1: Yeah, I, um, I have been tracking a couple of open source BI tools, um, Metabase and Redash, um, for several years now. Um, both of those are making incremental improvements, but neither of them uh, makes me want to encourage clients to stop paying for the proprietary solutions, at least where they are today. Um, There is uh, GitLab, which is an open source uh, GitHub competitor. Uh, They are doing some interesting things uh, with a a project that they're calling Meltano, um, where they're essentially trying to, to either build or integrate a solution within every layer of the stack and one of the areas where they're spending most of their time is the BI layer, and they um, I, I don't know exactly when they're planning on like revealing that to the world, but I've I had the opportunity to see a couple of behind the scenes look at looks at that um, and I, it is pretty exciting, so i I do think that uh, we are going to continue to see the open source uh, infrastructure at every layer of the stack
0: continue to to move forwards. Okay. Okay. And Stuart, you've been doing quite a bit of work. I know it's not open source, but with Google Data Studio, so well. I mean, what's the what's the what's the current state of the union with, uh, with with Google Data Studio at the moment?
2: So when you look at something like Data Studio, and obviously Amazon has Quick and you look yeah. at those so- sorts of things, which I put in a different category than I put Looker. Yeah. Um, they're very much about visualizing data, and they they ex- they expect you to bring conform models or at least curated models to. Um sort of to the table. Um, I think what's interesting about, you know, Tristan mentioned Metabase and, and obviously Looker fits into this model of, a, of, of going back to this sort of metadata way of thinking. And I think right now when you, as open source technologies start to, to think about that middle ground that really, um, as Tr- Tristan's right to say that at this point, only Looker has really been trying to fill that gap As open source technologies start to think that there needs to be a handoff between data integration, we we don't necessarily want data integration as great as DBT and other things are. Um, We don't necessarily want to have to do all of it there. Um, We certainly can, and there are lots of projects that do that. I think if you're going to use Data Studio, um, you're going to do a lot of your work in BigQuery or Dataflow, and that's what we've seen, or or even Data Prep. And that's what we've seen. So I think when we start thinking about just-in-time analytics, where we can do a certain amount of the final delivery or final preparation of data in um, an analytics tool or at least something like Metabase, which sits close to the analytics tool, um, that's great. And then we'll have the the, – and obviously, Looker does a great job at this. What you really want is the ability – for um for each user or each business or each project to decide how much they want to push to the data and how much they want to push to the analytics tool and i think as we start to see overlap overlap's not a bad thing i mean we, we we often think about well should we do that in dbt or should we do that in looker and really when there's overlap that's that's just options you have and it's great that we start to see some of these tools overlapping between them because that gives us the ability a to to refactor in advance but also just choose what's right for us on this particular project
0: okay okay we're almost out of time now so uh, tristan do you want to just tell us tell people how they can get hold of dbt and find out more about it and just tell us about any kind of i suppose activities you've got going on or or whether you'll be at a join in a week's time yeah, uh, we will be at join um, as attendees,
1: but we're also having a, uh, a pregame event um, on the uh, the evening of registration where everyone's going to hang out, talk about their usage of DBT and then head over to registration altogether. Um, uh, you can find out about DBT online at getdbt.com and uh, probably the first place that you go from there should be the big red button that says uh, sign up for Slack because we've got it. About 800 people in Slack today, and uh, I I really love hanging out with that community. They have such smart things to say, and they're really helpful and nice.
0: Okay, and Stuart, just remind us about the uh, your are exhibiting now. I think join and uh, any things that you're doing as well there.
2: Yeah, we're exhibiting. I think we're going to have uh, about four or five of us from Red Pill there, myself included. So we're look we're really excited about that. Um, and and the DBT channel on Slack is great. Tristan, uh, uh, you know it's almost table stakes today to to have a Slack channel, and and I spend so much time in Slack trying to get help from from these um, open source slash uh, you know enterprise customers or enterprise vendors that are both a company and an open source, and, and and I love that model. Um, quick, quick, really fast answers to questions. Um, also, I'll be speaking at Oracle Code this year, so let me throw a little plug in plug in there. I'll be building a uh, um, machine learning model on taxi fare prediction I'm doing that with a gentleman called Bjorn Roost from Pythian so uh, so anybody that's out there that's going to be going to Oracle Code, uh, check me out there
0: Excellent, that's good, brilliant well uh, it's been great speaking to you both and uh, thank you very much for coming on the show and uh, hopefully I'll see both of you at join in a couple of weeks time
1: Thanks so much, talk to you soon